0: So as so we continue our study of um, practicing thankfulness, good morning. I want to just uh, a brief summation of what, what is it that we have learned in this class. What is this class about? Um, it's about a call to be grateful. And we're reflecting on that this morning in tougher times: uh, how to be grateful how to give thanks in the midst of suffering. And we could all use a a lesson or two in, in doing that. Well, let me open us up in prayer and then we'll get into our lesson. Gracious Father, we thank you for the new day and particularly for the blessing of the Lord's Day. We thank you for calling us to gather together that we might worship you and encourage each other. Lord, we pray that as we study Your Word this morning, that You would help us to grasp Your eternal truth, that You would use the truths of Scripture to cheer our souls, to lift our affections, to shape our thanksgiving, and to give us fuel for gratitude. And we pray that You would profit our study. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. So in the, in the call to be grateful, um, The question, of course, is being grateful about what? Because there are many times in life where we recognize everything's not coming up roses for us. And life is really hard. Uh, So how do we show gratefulness in the midst of suffering? Um, Maybe there could be two ways you could reflect on this. Uh, One would be bad theology, but I'll flesh it out anyway. Um, Well, God isn't sovereign, so He didn't bring that. You know, the the thing that you're facing that's hard um, wasn't brought by the Lord at all, so there still can be gratefulness in God and not gratefulness in the midst of this thing. Of course, that would beg a question. How in the world could you be thankful in all circumstances, which Scripture calls you to do, if you embraced a view that God isn't sovereign over everything? Uh, Where would the comfort be in that? Uh, it would be nowhere to be found because you would be meeting suffering, not knowing or trusting that God could be with you in it or get you out of it or provide for you or he has a purpose. So the other perspective, which would be a biblical perspective, would be that God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Ephesians one eleven, uh, his decree embraces everything that happens every creature, action, and thing. He's governing it and preserving it and bringing it to accomplish the purpose for which he intended it. And this would include even sickness, even sin, even Satan. The Lord governs it all. Now, there are a number of biblical passages that we could look to to reflect on that principle. Uh, Most famously, all of us remember the story of Joseph, where he tells his brothers at the end of all of the travail, uh, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So God had a purpose, and that purpose was to bring about the salvation of His own people, to rescue them in the midst of famine. And the Lord was displaying the beauty of His character, and even shaping Joseph through struggle in the midst of all the suffering. And Scripture is quite specific on the, the things over which God rules and while we're often thinking about all the good things, let me just hit some highlights about the not so good things. Um, Isaiah 45, verse seven. I'm just going to hit a bunch of texts. God declares, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being, or we would translate shalom, peace, and create calamity or adversity. Hebrew it's the word for evil. I am the Lord. Who does these things? Or Lamentations 3, 37 and 38. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? What about deafness or blindness or muteness? Uh, The Lord says to Moses when he's not wanting to go before Pharaoh and, you know, can you find somebody else? I can't speak properly. The word says to him who has made man's mouth, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Or what about just adversity in general? Uh, you remember Job is challenged by his wife uh, in a devil like fashion. <laughs> um, you know, curse God and die, she says to him. He says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Uh, In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Or then there's just general affliction. Um, Moses prays in Psalm 90, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. We could keep doing this throughout the whole class, but we could see over and over that the Lord is sovereign over the good things that happen, over the evil things that happen. Now, how does this relate to individual suffering? And specifically, how can it relate to our own gratitude? Well, the point we're going to see this morning is suffering is never pointless. Suffering is never pointless, it's not random. It's not useless. It always has a purpose. Now, we can actually know what that purpose is as we study Scripture. More on that in a second. Now, our, our author gave us an illustration about uh, his, his father being a pig farmer. And if you're raising pigs, what thing, do, what thing does a pig produce that you're going to have an abundance of that might be a little smelly and disgusting? Um, well, lots of manure. And what in the world do you do with all that? Well, it just so happens that the people around this guy who's the pig farmer want to use that stuff that's gross and smelly and disgusting, and they want to put it on their crops because what's it going to do? It's going to help the crops grow. It's going to make them fertile. It brings about fruitfulness. Um, So there is a use even for manure, right? Right. Uh, there is purpose for gross things, or if we apply it to our own lives, there's a purpose for the hard things that we face in life. Now, there are a number of texts we could look at to consider this principle. Uh, we could reflect on James 1, uh, count it all joy when you suffer trials of various kinds. We could look at 1 Peter, where we're told while we're rejoicing our salvation... The Lord has brought affliction to us that our faith, which is more precious than gold, could be refined in the fire. Uh, we could look at 2 Corinthians 4, where there's a comparison between uh, our, you know, our sufferings presently and what God is doing ultimately in bringing us into a state of glory. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. But I want to look more explicitly with you to, in Romans chapter 5. To kind of flesh out this principle so if y'all you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5 we're going to spend the rest of our time in this text so when we come to Romans 5 we reach something of a mountaintop uh, in in the book you know Paul, he transitions. you remember the first rough way. The first three chapters are focused on the total depravity, depravity of, of man, and how man is overcome by sin and uh, doomed to destruction in view of ourselves. But God has taken action in Christ Jesus to bring a rescue mission. And then chapter four, he begins to talk about the wonder of justification, that God would justify the ungodly. He uses Abraham and David as an example. And then he concludes chapter 4 by telling us of Jesus uh, being delivered over for our transgressions and raised for our justification. And then chapter 5, we, we begin at the start to get something of the benefits that come to those whom God has justified. Now I want to read uh, verses 1 to 5 and we're going to talk about all that the Lord is saying to us here. Therefore, And endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, as we start this section, uh, Paul lays out for us several privileges that come to those who have been justified through faith. And you, you tell me what? What does he say to us Our privileges that we have as those who are justified through faith in Christ? OK, we have peace with God and, and note the, the language. Um, I wish the ESV made this a little more powerful as it is in the original. Uh, we are having. Peace with God is what it communicates. Um, that is, we are living in a posture of peace, peaceful relations between us and God, not because of something we have done, but because we've been justified through faith in, in Christ. So we stand in, in peace. What's another benefit that we have? Access to grace. Okay, we have access. Um, if, if we weren't in a state of peace, we would not have access. We couldn't come near to the Lord. We would be like Esther. You remember who's she's um, concerned about going before the king because if the king doesn't ask for you to come, you can't come um, unless he, you know, extends the golden scepter and then you can draw near. Well, the golden scepter is always extended for us. Um, we have access perpetually. There's never a time as a believer in Christ that we don't have the right of access to the Lord. That's an incredible privilege. Indeed, you know, as the Bible fleshes this out, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, that we get to go right into the Holy of Holies to carry our petitions. Um, And then there's another one that's tied to what Forum was saying. He said, obtained access uh, into grace. I think it's what you said. Um, The way it reads, it makes it sound like it's two things. Um, I mean, sorry, one thing, but it's probably two ideas that we have access by faith and we stand in grace we're, we're standing in a position of grace which is again an amazing thing this is an abiding state that we have and then there's one more benefit in verse 2 at the end yeah we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God um, and why are we rejoicing in that hope Yeah, so all, all these benefits have ushered us into a hope that is perpetual. Like we're, we have this future that we're looking towards that, that can't be denied us. You know, for the believer who's been justified through faith in Christ, you're not going to get to the door of heaven, if I can put it that way, and knock and no, nobody, you can't come in here. Um, through Christ, you have the hope of the glory of God. Hope in the Bible is not like we hope may rain or it might not rain we're longing for something of which we really don't know whether it's going to come out or not hope is a certain reality in scripture so we have the certain hope of the glory of God that we will be in a state of glory now all of that makes sense to us right we've been justified through faith we have peace and we're abiding in a state of peace we have access to God perpetually we stand in grace we have the hope of glory and that makes sense we should be rejoicing but then Paul kind of flips the switch on us and tells us that there's more that ought to bring us joy. Look, at, look again at verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice. You know, and the sense here is we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because or knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Shockingly, Paul says that we not only rejoice in the exultant hope of the joy set before us, but we embrace with joy our current trials. Now, I don't know about your experience on a daily basis, um, but I know that as I reflect upon this, this is not often my response uh, to my perpetual trials, <laughs> to rejoice in them. And, and I want you to think a minute about the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul is not, he doesn't have a Pollyanna view of the Christian life where, again, everything's coming up roses. Everything's easy for the Christian. He, he knows, Jesus said, John 16, in the world you have tribulation or suffering it's the same word translated sufferings here in verse 3 and Paul's life has been marked by that kind of tribulation can y'all rehearse for me some of the things that the apostle Paul went through some of the tribulations he experienced just so we sink our teeth into what this man is dealing with okay shipwreck floggings multiple imprisonments Okay, uh, being struck blind. Anything else come to mind? Constant rejection. Yeah. Okay. A thorn in his flesh. We don't really we don't know what that is, uh, but we clearly by using the language of thorn, something painful and something physical. You think of anything else? What's that? Okay. He's ultimately beheaded um, for the sake of Christ. And then there's ongoing persecution. And the, the, the beatings, I mean, you know, he was, he was beaten a certain number of times with the flogging that the Jews gave, the, you know, the 39 lashes. Um, he was beaten with rods other times by the Romans, and they didn't have a limit on how many times you could be beaten. He was stoned and left for dead on another occasion. He describes how... You know, there are times where he was cold and hungry and not having enough clothing. Again, Paul understands a depth of suffering that I don't know that we have ever even begun to sink our teeth into. Like the the depth of of suffering, the depth of difficulty this man is facing. Um, So when he says that we rejoice in our sufferings, he's not speaking again in in a Pollyanna sense. He's talking about true tribulation. Now, often when we hear that word tribulation or suffering, we associate it specifically with persecution. But scripture uses it more broadly than that. You know, it's not just t- telling us that we rejoice when we're being persecuted for Christ's sake, it's rejoicing in any kind of hard thing. This word for uh, tribulation or suffering is used in Acts chapter 7, verse 10. How God rescued Joseph from all his afflictions or all his sufferings. What what suffering was Joseph experiencing before Pharaoh calls him uh, to be the second in command in Egypt? Okay, he had an imprisonment. Yeah, false accusations coming against him. Betrayal. Okay. Uh, some type of being deprived of normal comforts of life. F- he was forgotten. Do you remember he is the interpreter of dreams? And <laughs> he's forgotten for two years. Um, these are what we might call more general afflictions. And yet the Lord rescued him from those afflictions. The famine that comes over Egypt in that time is also called a great affliction. So sufferings uh, through such afflictions... Are embracing both persecutions that the Christian may encounter, but also just tribulation in a world under the curse. This is life for the Christian. Um, the Apostle Paul will spread a message of cheer as he preaches to all the, he goes back through all the regions on his first missionary journey and he tells them this message Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The Christian life is gonna be hard. There are going to be many tribulations you face. This is the way it must be, and that's a striking word. Um, We must enter the kingdom of God through tribulations. So, this isn't just Paul's life. Notice back in verse 3, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, what does he say? We, we rejoice in our sufferings, in our tribulations. Now, let me ask that question I asked a second ago. Is it our, is our attitude in the midst of all the various afflictions that we face, distressing trials that come upon us in a world under the curse, is it an attitude of joy? Paul seems to glory in the fact that he's experiencing tribulation. We, we don't find him consumed with a dour disposition. Now, don't mistake the statement of joy to mean he's some type of deranged masochist who, who loves pain or feels nothing. Pain don't hurt. Um, that's not Paul's attitude. He's very honest about the pain and sorrow that he experiences. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 that there was a time he despaired of life. He's filled at times with restlessness. He talks about a a concern, literally an anxiety over the difficulties in churches. He talks about an an anxiety or concern he has for Epaphroditus because he was sick uh, almost to the point of death. But Paul seems to have a deeper insight in the midst of suffering so that while he experiences these things and is distressed, he yet rejoices. Now, how can we cultivate that same attitude? Well, it's about following the train of logic that Paul hops on here. He says, look again at verse 3, not only that, that we are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope there's a question here is Paul saying we rejoice in the midst of our sufferings and while the suffering is happening we keep on rejoicing or is he saying something a little more shocking we rejoice because of our sufferings and I think it's the latter that we rejoice because of our sufferings now how can he say that what's his perspective what, what, what is the Lord doing in the midst of suffering that can cause me to rejoice? Look at the text Texan. Okay, he's burning away the dross. Good. flush that out. Go ahead for him. Okay, he's producing something in us. Just like the manure is bringing about freefulness uh, on the crops. Uh, the Lord is using this thing that we would regard perhaps to be manure-like to produce fruitfulness in us. Michelle, what were you going to say? Yes. Yeah. That's that so that's really kind. That's I and I can actually, if you know that's his end goal, then knowing, which Paul says, knowing. Yes. So there's some things you have to know in order to use some truths you have to know, not just know about, but like the experience of it is a knowing. And once you get through some trials and you, you experience some hard things and you see, oh, wow, look, look I came through that. And um, it produces this resilience. The character is resilience, Right and, and, um, and, that, and hope is the end result. So that when another trial comes, because it will, you can get, knowing you can go through that again. Yeah. That end, goal is hope. Right. Hope so God, not, hope the not hoping now, and not hoping just you know it earthly deliverance. Not, not even in right. Although that's great. Yeah. So I think what Paul is telling us is if I can use this analogy, you know, as you look at the world, you have to put on the spectacles of faith to see what God is doing in the midst of your suffering. So often when suffering comes, we look at it just from a worldly sense. I don't like this and I want it to go away. Well, that yeah, that makes sense. But there's a greater purpose than it's simply being driven away or you getting some peace. The concern is not your peace. The concern is your growth. And that's what the Lord is interested in, in growing you and shaping you into the likeness of His Son. Now, when Paul says in verse 3, we also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, is this true for every person that suffering produces endurance it's true for the elect for the believer, but it's not true for every person, so we all remember jesus's parable of the soils, and i 'll just pick one of them the rocky ground here that as the the sower casts seed out and some falls upon the rocky ground, and the seed immediately springs up. But then, you know, difficulty comes, and that seed doesn't can't take root, right? Well, Jesus, in explaining what the parable means, He says, when affliction or persecution comes because of the word, since this person had no root, he fell away. That wasn't a true believer. He wasn't rooted in the Lord. So tribulation doesn't always lead to endurance. For some, it leads to apostasy. But for the elect, for the believer, tribulation or affliction produces, brings about endurance. And that's the perspective that we have to have. The Lord is training us on how to trust Him. The the constant pressure that's coming upon us from these afflictions actually has a good result. It yields spiritual fortitude. All right, we could use the, the easy illustration. Under the pressure of the earth squeezing coal, what what is produced? Diamonds. Well, that's taking place in us. This faith that can't be destroyed is being perfected and made beautiful. And more specifically, what we're seeing is as we experience tribulation leading to endurance as we're seeing that this world has nothing to hold in view of the surpassing glory of knowing Christ. That this world in all of its trouble is it's not substantial to us. We, we can look at it, and I can use the same word that Paul used. It's manure in comparison to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and being found in Him trials help us see that this world's not our home. Trials help us see that we're not planting roots here, that we're not trying to find all of our happiness here. This is what's so satanic about a message that would say um, that, you know, you need to have your best life now. That's not just silliness with some guy with a dopey smile on the front cover. That's satanic. That's what the devil is trying to offer Jesus in a temptation. All this I will give you if you bow down to me. Well, no, there has, if you're going to get to glory, you have to go through the cross. And that's the way it is for Christ, and that's the way it is for us. John Newton um, wrote this wonderful hymn. Some of you know this hymn called, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. It's an incredible hymn. Um, But in that hymn, he's describing, you know, I I prayed to the Lord that I would grow like you're supposed to pray. And. He has answered prayer in such a way that has almost led me to despair. He he crushed me. Uh, He made me see all the hidden evils of my heart. Um, He let like the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. And then he cries out, Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. And I love this line. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Is that what you want to do, Lord? You just want to drive me to the ground like a worm and kill me? And then he answers himself, but as God talking. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest seek thy all in me. The Lord is turning us to seek our all in Him and not in something this this world could offer us. There's a prize set before you and endurance is necessary to press on to the prize, to the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ. That's what God is doing in our trials. And is that what the Lord is doing in your trial? Now, note that the train of thought continues here. Suffering produces endurance And endurance produces character. Now, what what do you think Paul means by character? Before we explore what the word actually means, how does it strike you? Okay, he's shaping us into the image of Christ. Yeah. What's that? Calvin (laughs) Hobbes says this thing about you do this difficult thing as a character. Okay. It's for, it's for your character. Yeah, uh, clearly there's a, the idea of growth. But yeah, the growth is ultimately to reflect the image of Christ. The word translated character here uh, means to be approved or tested. So I think the New American Standard translates it godly character because the idea is you're being tested and tried so that godliness results. It's very similar to the image Peter uses in 1 Peter 1. That our faith, as it keeps pressing on, is being sharpened and strengthened as it's tried and tested through various difficulties. God brings trial to refine our faith. But Paul is saying he rejoices in that fact because he knows that in the end, faith will be sharper. Faith will be purified. Faith will be purged of all the impurities. And he thanks God for that. He rejoices in it that God is taking the weakness of my faith and burning off the weak parts. And then, of course, he gets to the next step. Uh, Godly character produces hope. Godly character produces hope. Now, the question is, how can there be hope? Well, several ways to answer that. There's hope, first of all, because God is sanctifying us. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's what we have. It's a certain reality. So the logic is suffering begins. Suffering comes and endurance comes and godly character comes and we get back to hope. The hope is not going to be cut off from you. So the suffering that the Lord brings into your life is not proof that God has cast you off or that God doesn't love you. The whole text is like framed with hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and we cannot be lost. We are going to be led to the hope that will not put us to shame. But how are we going to get there? Well, we are being shaped after the image of Christ. Hebrews 5, 8, it's a seminal text in in the book of Hebrews talking about Jesus' representation of us. And the author of Hebrews says this, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now, if being a Christian means being a little Christ, which is what the word means, do you think it's going to be different for you? How are you going to learn obedience? From the things you suffer the Lord is training you in obedience and then he reminds you of a great truth suffering produces endurance and endurance produces godly character and godly character produces hope and why should this lead us to a position of Thanksgiving well <clears throat> hope does not put us to shame or hope does not disappoint us is the idea. Um, and why is that? How come hope doesn't put us to shame or hope doesn't disappoint us? What does the text say? What's the reason? God's love has been poured into our hearts. The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, is this love our love to God or his love to us? Okay, His love to us produces our love for Him. But think, think really carefully, when love is poured into your heart, who loves first? God loves first. So the focus here is God's initiating love to us. The Father's love to us and not our love to Him is the ground of all of our hope. If you built your hope, on your love to God, how much hope would you have? Well, I think if you're honest, yeah, you, you wouldn't have any. Because your, your faith, it, it rises and falls. Um, it's like shifting sand. But the Lord's love to you is everlasting. It's unchangeable. And it's demonstrated. This context is about to go on to sh- to show you the demonstration verse 6 while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for who for the ungodly and then verse 8 but God shows his love for us in this that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us the lord's love is on display in the gracious gift of his son but here in verse 5 The love is focused on God's love being poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So the Holy Spirit is an abundant, extravagant diffusion of the love of God and pay attention to the verb tense. I know we we love to talk about grammar, (laughs) Um, but what's the verb tense? In verse 5 because God's love has been poured out into our hearts and in the original this verb tense means it's a past action with continuing effects the reason that your hope cannot disappoint you is because God has poured out his love into your heart and that love can never let you go God's purpose is to love you and love you and love you and love you and love you and, love you and it'll never stop now if we kind of reflect back on all this. All right. So, OK, we, we understand rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, but we're a little mystified by rejoicing in our sufferings. But Paul says we do that. Why? Because suffering is going to produce endurance and endurance is going to produce in us godly character and godly character is going to lead us back to our hope. And our hope will never be disappointed because the love of our father Has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You're never going to be cut off from the love of God. Now, how does that affect us by giving us thankfulness in the midst of trial? So, this is kind of an application question for us to answer as we're finishing up. How should all this stuff affect our thinking? so that we can give thanks in the midst of trial. Uh, it makes us, um, makes us love, God, love God even more because um, His love is not conditional. Okay. Um, our salvation is sure because all this would just fall apart if, if we thought we could lose our salvation. Yeah. Yeah, so our, our salvation is sure even in the midst of the, the most extreme suffering. And the Lord's not going to let us go. So we, we can give thanks for that. Elizabeth Elliot says, it's Christ in me, not me in different circumstances. So we have that hope and we can rejoice because we're fixing our eyes upon Jesus instead of whatever trouble we Yeah, so yeah, circumstances rise and fall, but God's love has been poured out. This is a stable, steady, constant reality. A deluge of love has been poured out into your heart. And it's not going to stop. And in that, you can rejoice. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Right. I mean, we shouldn't be like. I think so often we think of it like the devil or the world brings suffering into our life. God's sovereign, and He kind of figures out how to make it work out for us so that, you know, it's not so bad for us after all. No, no, no. God's bringing that in intentionally to <coughs> sanctify us, and we don't think about it like that. Yeah. Like that's the means that He's using. To right. To make us the way that we are legally, right? We're, we're holy. Paper now yeah, he's us that. but he's making us holy, right? Yes. Maybe it's like a challenge to our, our value system because we value our comfort more than our sanctification. Yes. And God trying to tell us, like, no, your reliance on every word that comes out of the mouth of God is more important than your suffering, however painful it is in the moment. Yes, yeah, so it is hard for us to believe. Again, we've got to put on the spectacles of faith. To embrace this. We have to believe what God is saying. So when trial comes to you, and and it will, and some of us are in the thick of them right now, when trial is fresh upon you and the devil tells you, see, you're not loved. You need to respond to the lie. No, God's love has been poured out into my heart. I belong to him. He's just making me more like Christ. He's fitting me for heaven. And this, this perspective, I think John Carman mentioned that I say this, this phrase of Samuel Rutherford all the time, um, that we're to kiss the rod. This is how we can kiss the rod. My father holds the hand of chastening, the rod of chastening. He's bringing about a good result in it. And I know he loves me. And I can rest in that. So I can embrace the difficulty because I see what he's doing. Well, we need grace to do that. But let us be a people who aren't just rejoicing when everything is going well, but we're rejoicing always because that's really the command. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for for you in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we confess to you our failure to give thanks in our trials as we should. We're often nearsighted in our perspective. We fail to look to the eternal purpose that You have to shape us into the image of Christ. Lord, we ask that You would make us to see what You're doing, what Your Word tells us You are doing, and to trust Your purpose. Help us to submit to trials and to rest in Your love for us that we might rejoice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.